So a question for us uh, this morning. As you have thought about your own, your own life and hearing from God, whether that's something that you've sought after or not, uh, does, does God's voice happen to sound a lot like your own? We find that this is fairly common. Old saying goes, God created humankind in his image, and humankind seeking to be the gentleman returned the favor. Uh, we, often, we often tend to think about God and what God likes and what God is about in the same ways that naturally match what we already like and what we are already about. We have something in the political world that matches this called confirmation bias. We seek out the things and we seek to highlight the things about God that we already naturally do, feel, think, say. And so it just continues to allow us to walk on this path where we get to say nice things, but we don't actually end up different as a result. And so one of the things uh, that, that we want to do is embrace the reality that change, that, um, the, the idea, don't, don't ever change. Let's not, let's not take that advice as a Christ follower. Let's be people who understand that the beauty of a Christian life is that we are always becoming something brand new over and over and over again. You are going to change no matter what in this life. You're going to change no matter what. So the question that we ask ourselves is, in what way? Uh, so Kids Life Kids, in your bags, you've got uh, one of these things that are called twist puzzles. Okay, and, and yours might not be in the shape of a ball. They all start in different shapes. But what they are is they're these little kind of 3D Lego shapes that you can twist and turn into something new. Now, there's two problems with this that I've already run into. One is that if you don't have anything to envision what it's about to become, it's a little hard and you just get it messed up. The other thing is that when you start with a ball, it's hard to imagine that it can become something else. So throughout the next 15 minutes, what I want you to do is I want you to find your twist puzzle and go ahead and shape it into something new. Why don't you hold up, if you've got yours, just hold it up right now so that those in our community can see. Okay, we've got a lot of straight lines. We've got some other things. So we'll see, we'll, we'll just see what they become after, uh, after a few minutes here, okay? So go ahead, go ahead and, uh, and, and hop in on that. Sometimes it's hard to imagine becoming something different. Uh, and sometimes it's a little stubborn to actually figure out how to be shaped into something new. Uh, the willingness to grow and change is often something that we, uh, that we resist at all costs. Um, but, but the beauty of the way of Jesus is always about leaving something behind and picking up something brand new. We're going to take a bit of a deep dive over the next few weeks into the book of James and into the person of James this morning for a few minutes. Uh, James, James teaches us what a life made new, what a life that looks different and that looks changed actually looks like. James teaches us to leave behind burdens, to leave behind habits of how we relate to others in ways that devalue them, to leave behind pride and attitudes of superiority, but also to leave behind our our, our stuff, the reliance on money and things over identity. These are all learned behaviors that make us different on the other side, and they have to be relearned over and over and over again by being with Jesus. So, so for the next couple weeks, 
the reason that James is so important is because he was someone who became something brand new. Uh, he changed greatly because of his experience with Jesus, but, but the way that he changed is what we're going to just sit with for a couple minutes this morning. James was the biological half-brother of Jesus, okay? Uh, and there's like four Jameses in the scriptures, and there's some debate over who wrote the book of James, but for the most part, it is believed and understood to be James, the brother of Jesus. Now, um, we do know that James went on to lead the early church in Jerusalem, the pastor of the Jerusalem church. So he became a pretty key figure. But where he started is really, really important. Okay? Uh, so, so in the book, in the, in the Gospels, the story of Jesus with his family is really interesting. There are moments during Jesus' life, okay, where his family shared a sense of shame about Jesus, and his rising notoriety among the, the Jewish people. And, and I get it. Uh, kids, how many of you, don't raise your hand for this one. This is just one of those internal thoughts. How many of you feel like your parents treat one of your siblings better or like them more or they get special favors compared to what you have to deal with? Anybody feel like that? Well, so just imagine if your sibling was Jesus growing up. Just imagine the moments, okay? I mean, Joseph's Technicolor dream coat annoyed his brothers enough that they sold him into slavery. So just imagine having a brother who might just be the one that all the scriptures had been pointing to. I think it could be hard on a brother. Luke's account of Jesus as a 12-year-old when Mary and Joseph leave town in a caravan and find out later that Jesus isn't with them. I can only imagine James being like, finally, here we go. I cannot wait for mom and dad to finally unleash on Jesus because he was so irresponsible. And they go and they find the boy Jesus in the temple sitting and talking with teachers of the law and he gives this remark that, now I'm not asking you to read it how you've read it. I'm asking you to read it from a, a little brother's perspective. Didn't you know that I would be in my father's house? Sitting among the elite of society, which was the Jew in the Jewish society, the teachers of the law were considered a high class. You know, he's in this special place of honor, and he doesn't get in trouble, and I just can't imagine. So anyways, throughout the ministry of Jesus, we're told over and over again that Jesus' family believed even they needed to rein him in, Mark 3.21, because he's out of his mind, all right? John 7.5 says that Jesus' brothers didn't believe in him, and they tried to give him career advice, over how to make it as a growing public figure. They said, uh, why don't you go, if you want to become a public figure, you should go to Jerusalem and take your disciples with you. <laughs> that statement clearly notes they did not consider themselves a disciple of Jesus at the time, the, this, family, this family of Jesus. When Jesus is in his hometown in Matthew 13, it says that he couldn't do the same miracles because he was discounted as the homegrown kid and somehow that made a difference. Jesus' family didn't know what to do with him, especially his brothers. But at some point, a change occurs, okay? Uh, at some point, something happens when people encounter the whole truth of who Jesus was. For many, it happened at the time of the resurrection, but many discounted that too. So let's not just assume that because the resurrection story was perpetuated, that it just became easy for everyone. But we're, we're told in Acts 1, oh, whoops, I was supposed to show that. I'm horrible with slides. Um, that's your little uh, twist puzzles. Um, in Acts 1, when the apostles returned to Jerusalem um, from Mount of Olives, okay, 
they, they all got together. This is right before the Pentecost story, okay? And they joined together constantly, the last sentence, in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers, okay? So what we find out here is that at some point post-resurrection, the disciples are all praying together, and a part of that prayer circle, a part of that team, is, the, is Mary and the brothers of Jesus. His, his family have now come in to follow Jesus, as Lord. People have changed. There's no hint of embarrassment or shame here, but rather this kind of weird, delirious brother of one time has become James's Lord, whom he wants to give his life in service to, which is how he opens the book of James. James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So Jesus changes everything for James. So when he writes this letter, and he writes the letter to the church scattered across the entire region. What he does is, uh, is this skeptic has become one of the most radical voices in the scripture. So radical, by the way, that Martin Luther wanted to take James out of the canon back when you could debate these things because it was actually the canon meaning what the Bible would come to be. He thought it was too radical. He thought it didn't value grace enough. He thought it was too much about works righteousness. I would argue that grace is the entire foundation for James's life and letter and that you can pick it up uh, through there. But anyways, this is a radical book. Scott McKnight, who is uh, an author and a professor, he invites his students at Northern Seminary to do this activity. He says, James has become so transformed by Jesus that go ahead down through the book of James and I want you in the margins to put a tick a little check mark or a little note beside every paragraph that sounds like Jesus, that you believe Jesus, uh, there's a parallel to in some way, really clearly in something that Jesus said or did. Uh, scholars have, have said that there's 34 direct quotation references that James makes to Jesus without ever quoting him, except for one really obscure thing in, in James 5, when he says, let your yes be yes and your no be no. That's the only time he actually quotes Jesus. Really weird but we won't get into that. So, so just, just take for an example, take Luke 1, okay? Or take James 1, I'm sorry, verses 22 to 25. Don't merely listen to the word, James writes, and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but doesn't do what it says is like, and those of you who know the scriptures, what are you thinking? Is about to come. Anyone who knows, have you, is, this, is this like ringing kind of an echo in your head? Everyone who knows the word or listens to the word but doesn't do it, doesn't do what it says, is like a guy who built his house on a rock. Oh, on the sand. And then the waves came and it didn't hold up, right? That's what Jesus uses in the Sermon on the Mount. Guy who built a foundation that's no good. It's got to be about being and doing. But James doesn't say that. James says it's like somebody who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes, ah! No, um, he doesn't get scared. He looks at himself and he forgets. Sorry. <laughs> so, <laughs> I forgot there were children that can be easily startled in this room. My bad parents, making it even harder on you all. And he looks in the mirror and he forgets what he saw. He walks away completely unchanged, not even noticing what he was looking at. So he saw it, but it didn't do a thing, right? So James has learned how to reword a teaching of Jesus in his own way, 
And that is really significant, as we'll talk about in just a second. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law, he goes on, the law that gives freedom. Ah, the law that gives freedom, right? John, John 8, then you will know the truth, Jesus said, and the truth will set you free, right? The truth of God's love, the truth of the character of God that we talked about last week when we talked about the balance of grace and truth coming in Jesus. He says, the law of love, not the Torah, not, not the Old Testament law, but the law of love that Jesus talks about when he defines the law as being love for God, love for neighbor. That is what will set you free. Can you hear the voice of Jesus in the words of James? Living in the law of love will make you blessed. Sounds like Jesus. It's not just that it mirrors Jesus, though. It's not just that it sounds like Jesus. It's the message itself. Be doers of the word, not just hearers. Don't just see something that God calls you to do or understand and just see it and let it go, but instead let your life embody the truth and the reality of the love of God for you and for every single person that you encounter for the rest of your life. Okay? We can know something in our head, but until it works our, its way through our hands, it won't transform us. James goes on, and we're just going to look at one more uh, set right here, just as, as it uh, continues. Those who consider themselves religious, James writes, and yet don't keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. Religion that God our Father accepts, as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted in the world. Does that sound like Jesus? To look after orphans and widows? What's that sound like? John, John 19, Jesus on the cross, 26, says to John, Look, here is your son. Son, here is your mother. Jesus makes new families. It's a part of what he does. All right? Uh, the, the beauty here, uh, by the way, in Jewish culture, to become an orphan, you only had to lose one parent. So the word meant that you had lost a parent. We don't know where Joseph is in the whole scheme of this story, the father of Jesus. But we can understand that if Jesus is in the 30 to 34 year old range, then we can understand that there's a high likelihood that Joseph was no longer living at this time. And so, so the idea of Jesus handing off care, saying, John, you and the disciples, you now have a responsibility to care for my mother and my brothers. James very well might have been talking personally. James has seen some good religion. James has been cared for and loved by the disciples, by the community of disciples. So, so, so all of this over and over and over again is the fact that, that the calling of Jesus is all over the words of James, but not necessarily the quotations of Jesus. All right? His language, James's language, has become totally different because Jesus has rubbed off on him. I was working on our little pond, so you know that we bought a, many of you know that we bought a house about five months ago, right before all the COVID stuff started. And so the quarantine has led to many, many home projects uh, because of the time at home. But we had this broken down fountain and pond that I've been restoring is 60 years old. And, uh, and we got it really, really close um, to holding water, at least in the basin. But then when we would run the fountain, it would all float back so, um, into, into our flower bed from the, from the back of the fountain. So I had the cement out yesterday and I was fixing cracks. And the cement we were using picks up any moisture, and I'm a texture person, so the rest of the day, my hands felt so dusty, even after I washed them and dry, I, I, I could just feel it because the cement had rubbed off on me, so I noticed it for the rest of the day. 
Now that might be a negative example, but the idea of Jesus rubbing off on James so much that it was so clearly noticeable. You could not ignore or deny. And the Gospels, it says that, uh, uh, who was it? Um, somebody help me out. Mark and someone. Maybe John, Mark, and Paul. Uh, when they're in front of the Sanhedrin, it's Mark 13, 35, I think. And, uh, and they made note that these men had been with Jesus. was the only thing that we're told about that time. They could tell they were different because these men had been with Jesus. Not because they were brilliant, you know, scholars, but because they had been with Jesus. James's words are clear. They clearly reveal that Jesus has rubbed off on him in a way that is total, in a way that embodies all of who he is, okay? Um, as we think about this challenge, uh, I want you to think about 2 Corinthians 3.18 just for a moment. Paul writes, And we with unveiled faces contemplate, uh, contemplate the Lord's glory and are being transformed in his image, which, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is, who is spirit. We who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image. Con- think about contemplating the Lord's glory. Contemplating the Lord's glory means thinking about how Jesus rules the world. Jesus rules the world not by force, but by love. Not by power over, but by power under. Not by domination, but by forgiveness. Contemplate that. Contemplate the glory of God and how it is manifested in the world. Let that change and transform you. Jesus was so familiar with the person in the, or James was so familiar with the person in the message of Jesus that it changed how he talked. So the question is, are we close enough to Jesus that the pages of our lives read like his words? So if, if your life is a book, right? Are we in connection with Jesus enough that as people engage with our lives and read the stories, what they read, the words that come across, read like red letters? Are are our lives so deeply connected with the heart of who God is, with the Jesus that is revealed in the Gospels, that we read as if someone is reading the, the words of Jesus when they interact with us? That's the question. Uh, are we close enough to Jesus that the pages of our lives read like his words? Kids, hold up your, uh, your objects. And have they changed? They have. Oh, there's some beautiful stuff. I see different shapes. I see corners where there were once straight lines. Straight lines where there were once curves. Yes. Nice job, guys. The hope. The hope. It's not profound, but it's a good image for us. Honestly, it's not profound. But the hope is that as we engage more with Jesus, the shape of our lives looks different, okay? Um, It's being changed beyond quotes, though. I love that James doesn't quote Jesus, but he does. But it's more than just reciting words that you've memorized. And this is the good news of the gospel. This is, we, we have to learn, like James, to embody things in a new way. Being so changed that we learn our own metaphors to live out the kingdom. We have to learn to contextualize what does good news look like today in a world that's hurting? What does caring for the oppressed and the poor look like today in our world where there are systems of oppression that are often very subtle, that are often overlooked and ignored? What does it look like to seek peace and forgiveness today? What does servanthood look like today? Because it doesn't look like wrapping a towel around your waist and washing feet most of the time. 
But what does it look like? Do we have the creativity to embody Jesus' words and language? Uh, a student, it's, it's, it's learning to be transformed beyond quotes. In the, Jewish, in the Jewish world, by the way, this whole process is called wisdom. The whole process of, of learning beyond quotes, it's called wisdom. And interestingly, in the fifth verse of the book of James, James says, if any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God. The, the, the practice of wisdom meant that a student would find a sage and they would submit themselves to this sage, this rabbi, who would impart wisdom to them and their job was to learn how to embody the wisdom in their own words and in their own lives. And that's what happened between Jesus and James. James somehow learned how to embody the words of Jesus, the wisdom of the sage, into his own life in a different way. And it changed him. But the student has to be willing to receive it. So that's our, our second question that we'll end today with. Um, the first is, are we close enough to Jesus that the pages of our lives can be read like the red letters, like his words? And the second is, are we willing to be changed, sometimes painfully, by Jesus, rather than only using Jesus to affirm our own views and ways of living? Are we willing to be changed? Will we let Jesus give us wisdom and will we embody it in a transformative way? So James talks about pers perspectives and, and actions that are changed. So over the next four weeks, he talks about changing how we see the pain in our lives. He talks about changing how we understand the essence of what faith is. He talks about changing how we rank and value people. And he talks about changing the words that come out of our mouth. So for the next four weeks, those are the areas that we're going to lean into and reflect on um, to look more like Jesus. All right? So we're going to let James lead us to become, let James lead us to be changed by Jesus and become something new again and again and again and again. May this be true of each of you today as you look to the one who became flesh so that you could see the heart of God. We're, we're calling this conversation becoming. So we must never forget that God became something new to relate to God's people, just like we're called to become something new as we followed in discipleship to Jesus. All right? Let's, uh, let's pray, and then Dwayne's going to lead us through communion, and, and we're going to wrap. Lord, to talk about change when we're tired is, is brutal, honestly. Uh, sometimes it feels like we don't have the strength to just be patient enough to persevere for today. So to talk about change feels like it's out there in left field sometimes. I pray that you would help us find the balance of trusting you each day, but letting it actually rub off on us so that we might be different. So help us have courage today. Fill us with your love. Fill us with your grace above all these things so that we might not be condemned when we make our mistakes, when we're slow to learn. Help us just to understand that we have a grace-filled sage walking with us, rescuing us, hearing our voice, and speaking truth. Help us, Lord. Amen. Amen.